Hello everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's dive straight into our scripture reading for this morning. It's the Christmas story with a difference in Matthew, Mark and Luke. We hear all about angels and virgins giving birth, uh, but John's is almost a little bit off the wall. So let's turn into the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through to 18. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. I wonder if any of you know what this is. And I wish that I could hear your responses, but obviously that's not possible. This is a belly button warmer. Apparently you just stick it in there and it keeps your belly button warm and it's the perfect gift for a person who has everything. I wonder if you've ever received a gift that didn't mean very much to you. Or maybe it's because you've got everything. Sometimes a gift doesn't mean very much to a person because he doesn't have much use for it. So for example, you might get a plastic whistle from a Christmas cracker. You don't really have much use for it. That gift is one thing, but bone marrow from a donor to a person who has leukemia is another thing altogether. It addresses an essential need. And sometimes a gift doesn't mean very much because it doesn't actually have much value. Perhaps it didn't cost the giver anything. But if a kidney donor makes a successful donation, she has paid and given something which is of great value. And if she were to die after that successful donation, she would have paid the ultimate life for the life of her friend that she donated the kidney to. And the recipient will never be able 
to settle that debt. Even if she offers her own life, it won't be enough because it won't bring her friend, the donor, back from the debt. So what I'd like to do is to reflect today on the ultimate Christmas present, the ultimate Christmas gift in terms of the need that it addresses, the nature of the gift, the power of the gift, and then also how to accept it. The nature, the need, the power, and how to accept it. Let's dive straight in to the nature of the gift, starting in verse 1. John writes there, In the beginning was the Word. And then he repeats it in verse 2. He says, He was in the beginning with God. In other words, our Christmas gift was pre-existent. He existed before all of this came into being, which is a marvelous thing because it means that he is other than all of this. Nothing in what is created defines him. He is apart from him, from it. He is unique. And John emphasizes this by repeating it twice. And then he goes on to say, and the word was with God and the word was God. In other words, John is revealing the fact that God is one God in two persons at this stage. Later on, we start to see that he's actually three persons. But here we see that God is two persons. And one of the persons of the Godhead is our gift. This gift is pre-existent. It is also divine or he is also divine. Let's keep on reading. He says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So once again, he's emphasizing this. He's telling us that without a doubt, this amazing gift of the Lord Jesus Christ created everything. He tells us in a positive way. He says all things were made through him. And then he expresses it in a negative way. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so he's the creator. He's also the source of life. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus was pre-existent. He is divine. He is the creator. He is the source of life. There is nothing in the created universe that doesn't have even the slightest iota of life, which doesn't come from the source of life, namely Jesus himself. He is the creator and he is the sustainer, the source of life for all things. Let's move on to verse 18, just skip down. There it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. That means that there is a certain amount of darkness, if you like, that surrounds God in the sense that he can't be seen. But this Christmas gift which is given to us is a source of light. He illuminates God. He shines a light on God. He helps us to know what God is like. No one has ever seen God. Then it refers to Jesus. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. He is also a source of light and illumination. Now look at verse 9 and verse 14. Verse 9 says, The true light, 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. In other words, this Christmas gift became a man. He came into our world. He was pre-existent. He was the creator. He was divine. He was the source of life. He is the source of light. And he came to be with us in our world. What an amazing gift. Absolutely mind-blowing. Let's have a look now at the need that Jesus fills, the need that this gift meets. And the first need that had to be addressed was a need to do with darkness, but not just passive darkness, more of an active kind of darkness, a militant darkness. What do I mean? Well, we'll see. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines. Jesus is the source of light. He shines in the darkness. Now, John is using darkness as a metaphor. Darkness is a metaphor of a condition in which truth is concealed. You can't see things for the way that they really are. Many years ago, just after Gail and I had got married, we went camping with a group of friends of ours in Navumba. And we got a bit tired of the camp food. So we said to everyone, why don't we go to the White Horse Inn in and go and have a meal there so that we can um, eat something really nice and tasty. So we left the campsite and as we were driving out, it was still daylight. I could see that there was a path that left the road and went back through the forest to the campsite. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice when we come back to ask the driver of the car to stop, let Gail and I out so that we could have this romantic moonlit walk through the forest in the dark back to the campsite. So sure enough, we finished our meal. We arrived back and I said, would you mind dropping us off? The car drove into the distance and we couldn't see a thing. It was absolutely inky black. Now I said to Gail, don't worry. It's just because our eyes are a little bit dazzled. We just need to wait until we adjust. So we stood for half a minute. We stood for a minute. We stood for two minutes and we realized that we were under the canopy of the forest, which was cutting out light. Furthermore, it was overcast. And then on top of that, there wasn't any moon because the moon hadn't risen yet. It was absolutely dark. So we waited for about 30 seconds and it was still utterly dark. We waited for a minute, we waited for two minutes. And eventually we realized that we were not gonna be able to see where we were going. We were in complete darkness. And the thing about that is that it's very dangerous because, I mean, you could step off a cliff, <laughs> um, you could step on a snake, but also maybe those dangers don't exist, but you would still be frightened because you just don't know if you're about to step on a snake or not. And on top of that, how on earth are you gonna find your way home? And so I spend a lot of time jumping behind Gail. She couldn't tell because it was so dark when I heard noises in the forest. And eventually we managed to feel our way all the way back to the campsite. 
So darkness is a metaphor um, of a condition in which the truth is concealed. Gail and I watched a fascinating documentary on Netflix a few nights ago. It's just been made this year and it's called The Social Dilemma. And what they do is they interview a lot of people who were involved in the initial design and setup of different social media platforms. And if you take Facebook, for example, what Facebook is designed to do, what the algorithms, if you like, behind Facebook is designed to do, is to get you to spend as much time in front of your screen as possible on Facebook. Because if it can do that, then it can take that time that you're spending and use it as a marketable commodity. They can go to advertisers and say, this number of people spend this amount of time. If you advertise, this is what, it doesn't matter whether people are actually looking at it or reading the adverts or not, there is the potential there so they can monetize it. And the way that they do that, the way that they get you to engage and be in front of the screen is they've done studies into the psychology of the human brain. How can they get the brain to release dopamine, which is the, the, the drug in the brain that causes addiction, that makes you feel good, that makes you feel excited when you see things on Facebook. And the other thing that they do is that they, they, get, they find out what your interests are. They profile you. And when I say they, we're actually talking about a, a computer here, an algorithm. The algorithm finds out what your interests are and then it feeds you those interests and only those. It'll, it'll get you to go down a rabbit hole and it'll see how far it can get you to go because you'll still be sitting in front of the screen. The problem with that is that if, for example, you're not certain about inoculations and vaccines, should I vaccinate my children? Then it'll provide a whole lot of other people who are not sure, and it'll start feeding you information from the side of the camp that says vaccines are bad, so that you never actually get exposed to people who have a different opinion than you, a different idea to you. And none of this is necessarily based on the truth, because it could be anybody posting on those social media platforms that the algorithm finds and sends to you. And so the world is becoming a darker and a darker place. And we have these sinister third parties. For example, the Russians were able to use social media to undermine elections in the world's great democracies, like in, in America. These are the kind of things that are happening. And it's all about darkness, concealing the truth. But darkness is also a metaphor for the desire to to conceal something shameful, something that's sinful or unlawful. So when the burglars pitched up to break into our church office, the first thing that they did was they removed light bulbs outside around the veranda area where they wanted to break in because they didn't want, they wanted a cloak of darkness over what they were doing. So humans have become attracted to ungodly passions and we've allowed these passions to control our lives and then we use darkness figuratively to conceal it because we don't want people to know. Chapter 3 verse 19 in John he says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? What was the cause of that? Because their works were evil. 
I'm sure most of you would agree that the world is a dark place. It's dangerous, it's frightening. Humans are controlled by their passions and secrets abound as they keep the truth concealed, maybe out of shame or out of fear of punishment or out of some hidden motive that they don't want you to be aware of. And the thing is, folks, that when the truth is revealed and, I beg your pardon, concealed, and we are darkened in our understanding, the Bible tells us that we are separated from the life of God. Listen to this from Ephesians 4.18. We've been talking about this. Before people got to be in a relationship with God through Jesus, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. That was the effect. What was the cause? Because of the ignorance in them. But notice that the darkness isn't simply passive. There is something militant. There is something intentional about the darkness. It wants to overcome the truth. There is a conflict between darkness and light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness wants to overcome the light. But who is it? Who is it that's behind all of this? Who is the father of lies? Who is called the deceiver? Jesus said that when Satan lies, he is speaking in his mother tongue. Satan is actively suppressing and concealing the truth by telling lies. And he's got some great allies and human beings that also want to do the same thing. And so the first need that must be addressed is this aggressive, militant, intentional darkness. And the second is the issue of parenthood. In verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. Just file that away, gave the right. In other words, there had to be some sort of a legal basis. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Folks, I would put it to you today that every human being has an insurmountable problem. It's a problem of parenthood. Every human being on the face of the planet has been born of man. And every human being needs to be born of God. Why? Because being a child of God being speaks of being restored to a right relationship with God. But no human being born of a man is born in right relationship with God. We are born as sons and daughters of Adam, born as sons and daughters of the rebellion. We don't need to teach children when they're first born to resist authority. They just do it instinctively. And it's a taste of what is in every one of us. We don't like to submit to authority, no authority, let alone the authority of God who loves us and knows us intimately and created us. And that's why, that's why Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. He was born in a virgin, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we needed a virgin birth. Craig explained it a week ago. And so we've looked at the nature of the ultimate gift, all of those wonderful things. We've considered the needs that need to be met by this ultimate gift, darkness and parenthood. Let's put the nature and the need together 
in order to discover the power of the gift. That's the third thing we're moving on to now. Okay, so a man's problem presents as ignorance of the truth, darkness, right? Now, God created the universe, so he is the origin of truth. He set things up so he knows the truth behind everything. But mankind is in darkness as a result of his rebellion against God. Darkness has come into the world. Death has come into the world. Ignorance. Therefore, the solution is for God to reveal the truth. You know, it, it, it actually requires God to take the initiative. And so he sends a witness to prepare the way for the ultimate gift. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So thank heaven, God took the initiative and John was sent to prepare the way for the truth. And then in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek verb used there, is the same Greek verb that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the tabernacle. Do you remember when God took the people of Israel out of Egypt? He told Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent, in which God would dwell. God was about to start dwelling amongst his people in that tent. And what we find now is that Jesus is coming as a man to come and tabernacle, to come and uh, to dwell, to camp amongst his people. And this is wonderful because it means that God didn't send some sort of dry, academic, watertight argument because some people just battle to follow arguments. Some of us are not as clever as others. He didn't, he didn't need to send an argument to prove God. He didn't send a mere human being. He didn't send a book, but he sent a person, Jesus Christ. But I wonder if that truth is enough to deal with our condition. Suppose, for example, Gail and I had ended up in a very steeply cut valley with smooth cliffs rising up and water coming down. And we wouldn't have known any of this. But when the sun rises, we realize where we are. We're actually on a little piece of land that is surrounded by water. The only way out is to get up the cliff or to get in the water, but it's too dangerous, and the water is coming up, it's rising. Is it enough to know the predicament that we are in? No. That's what the law did. John talks about it here. He says, the law of Moses brought truth, but the truth wasn't enough. If I walk into a room and I want to clean it, I can't see the dirt unless the room is lit up. I turn on the light, then I can see the dirt, but I'm not going to use the light bulb to clean up the dirt. I need a dustpan and brush to do that. So the law came, the truth came and said, "Here, this is the truth. You are guilty and you need forgiveness, but the law couldn't offer any legal basis for forgiveness. It's a problem. Other religions have a list of do's and don'ts which help the people to see 
that they're not measuring up. Even a person who doesn't believe in any God or religion has a code of ethics, if you like, standard that he lives by. But none of us even live up to our own standards. It tells us that we've fallen short, but what does it do about that problem? I was once chatting to a Muslim man and he told me, he said, no, I know that I'm guilty before God. I know that I haven't measured up. So I said, well, what's going to happen when you get to heaven? He said, no, God will forgive me. And I said, well, on what basis will he forgive you if he's a God of justice? He needs to be just as well as forgiving. And on what basis is he going to forgive you? We need to find out the way in which this ultimate gift deals with that problem. So the power of the gift is that it provides an antidote to ignorance, the truth. But we need more. We must also address the problem of parenthood, which requires both grace and truth. Look at verse 16. From Jesus's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus. Imagine Gail and I in that valley and now think of a rope being let down. There's a loop on the end of the rope. All we have to do is put it over our, ourselves and we can be pulled out of the valley. And Jesus provides the legal basis for grace and forgiveness. The law says you're guilty and you deserve death. What grace does is God says, no, I've sent my son. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. I'm going to punish him in your place. He will satisfy my wrath. He will satisfy my justice. He will be punished so that you don't need to be punished, so that you can be given the right to become children of God, to address the parenthood problem. That's what happens. And, and notice that it says we have to be given the right to become children of God. There needs to be a legal basis for it to happen. Let's start to close now by looking at how to accept it. I just want to sound a warning. Verse 7 tells us that John bore witness that all might believe. It wasn't certain. Some people would not believe. Look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet contrary to expectation. You would have expected people to respond to him because he made the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world did not recognize him. It's a bit like Gail and I standing there and looking at that rope and thinking, surely this isn't the means of rescue. It, it, it's too thin. And, and who's at the top? Are they strong enough to haul us all of that way up? Keep on reading. Verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Who is this man? What is this rope, if you like? He, he's one of us. He, he comes from Nazareth. His dad was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. I mean, even his parenthood is, is questionable. Mary, his mother, claims that she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I mean, is that true? And perhaps Jesus isn't what you're expecting as the solution to your problems. Maybe you want a helicopter. 
Or maybe, maybe you want to get out of that valley yourself so that you depend on yourself. Maybe you want to trust in your own abilities. Maybe you want a ladder that you can climb. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, mm, you know, that it's actually not as bad as it all seems. It's not as high as it seems. It's not as impossible as it seems. But to be pulled up on the end of that slender rope. Mm. It is possible, folks, to overlook the gift. It is possible to reject it. But, but, verse 12, to all who did receive him, lay hold of the rope, and believed in his name, I trust this to pull me up. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Just in conclusion today, if you realize and you're starting to sense and you're starting to think, hey, I am in darkness. I am in an awful position. The water is slowly coming up. Yes, it might take 10 years. Yes, it might take 20 years. It might take 30, but the flood is coming. And you're beginning to suspect that maybe that rope, maybe Jesus is the way. I would just say, receive him. Put your faith and your trust in him because it's not believing is seeing. A seeing is believing. It is believing that is seeing. Receive and believe. And if you have been rescued, then you need to be like John. John the Baptist, the witness, the one who is bearing testimony to what the ultimate gift can do for people. And I pray that we would be that kind of a church next year. A church that is powerfully and effectively bearing witness to the ultimate gift. Shall we pray? To begin with, I'd like to pray for those who would like to receive and believe the Lord Jesus Christ so that he will give them the right to become children of God, to be put into right standing and right relationship with God. If you're in that place, just pray after me. Father God, I recognize that I'm in darkness. I recognize that I've done wrong things. I've wanted to manage my own life without you. I haven't wanted to know the way you want me to live. I've used this darkness as a, as a cover for the bad things that I've done, and I don't want that to be the case anymore. I want to turn away from all of that, and I want to receive your son, Jesus Christ. I want to put my faith and my trust in the rope. I want to be given the right to become your son or your daughter. And then I want to pray for us who believe. Father God, I pray that you would equip us in 2021 to be effective witnesses for the ultimate Christmas gift so that we would make a difference, so that we would contend for truth, that we would contend for the light, that we would point people in the right direction. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. I pray that you have a blessed and very special Christmas um, 
in a, in a couple of days time. Goodbye for now.